This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Trav, and I'm Drew. And I'm Trav. <laughs> How are you today, Trav? I'm doing pretty good, Drew. How about you? I'm really good. Um, did you notice today, out my lovely window, that we are directly toilet adjacent? We are directly <laughs> toilet adjacent. I had to replace my toilet in the basement, so that was a fun That was a fun learning experience. I'd never done anything like that before, so that was pretty fun. Um, speaking of uh, stuff that no longer works in my house, um, the whole idea behind this podcast was to watch stuff that i already have on vhs to do video games that one of us already have and stuff like that and uh i wanted to watch batman which was our homework that we had assigned in the last episode on uh vhs which i do and which i have and was excited to watch it um i found out that my vcr has a newfound taste for magnetic tape (laughs) It uh, was very hungry, apparently, and decided to eat the tape. I got the tape out of there, luckily, and did some damage to it. Um, It'll never be the same. Uh, Hopefully, it'll play, but I no longer have a VCR. Um, So, ISO, in search of uh, VCR for a reasonable price. Um, I was looking the other day, and uh, I found a a woman that was getting rid of one for $5. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. in a town over and uh, so i messaged her and i said i'll take it as long as it works i'll meet you in your town uh never heard back so i'm guessing it didn't work yeah <laughs> so i mean that's the way that's that's the way it goes you know yep. um like i said we uh batman was our assignment from last episode so before we get going on the homework review uh i want to ask trav do you have a favorite line from the joker favorite line not necessarily, but I definitely have two favorite scenes. Okay. The first scene is where he, where you first see that he's the Joker, where you actually see his face, and he goes to take out Grisham. That's just the most Joker-esque scene I can imagine, when he's shooting him more than he needs to, and around his back, and laughing, and I love that scene so much. Yeah, and he emerges out of the darkness like a ghost. His face is just, you know obviously very very white and he just emerges out of the darkness and you uh, everybody assumed he was dead right um well i guess do you want to do an, an impression of the joker like do you want to say uh this town needs an enema <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i got that in me <laughs> no how about uh, how about wait till they get a load of me wait till they get a load of me there you go that's great and then before we get to the homework you got to give me your best i'm batman I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. (laughs) Uh, With those out of the way, I guess we'll just move on to the homework review. And I want to open it up by telling you how I saw this movie in the theater in 1989 in Moorhead, Minnesota. You didn't see it, obviously. I did not. (laughs) It came out four days before I was born. Yeah, that's that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I was five. uh, And I couldn't believe that my father took me to this movie in 1989. Uh, so I did ask him. He's like, yeah, I, I I remember doing that. I mean, he is 68 years old now. So yeah. he's like, I'll take your word on it. But I, I'm pretty sure that we went and saw it because, I mean, I have memory of going to the theater and it being a rainy day, and which makes sense because it was a June release. So, um, And I did go to Reddit to check it out and go to the, the Fargo Moorhead subreddit and uh, 
ask the people on there if they remember uh, the Safari, which was the theater where I believed it uh, was playing at. Um, if anybody remembers it being there, and the consensus was that, yeah, it probably was playing there. So um, I believe that I saw it in the theater as a five-year-old, which, you know, after watching this movie now five times, I think, since we assigned the homework, um, I, I find I, I find that uh, interesting. Kind of shocking. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I tried to ask my dad if he remembers seeing this in theaters because it came out right before I was born, and he's having trouble i said i'm gonna guess you didn't see it in theaters and so he's like yeah i, I must have rented that one and my dad's never been a rewatcher. Mm, he doesn't mm, rewatch mm. stuff for it which is the total opposite of me i yeah i always rewatch yeah. stuff on repeat but yeah he's not a rewatcher. so all i really got out of him was jack nicholson's a legend <laughs> and, and i couldn't agree more so. I mean, really if you drew one conclusion from bat tim burton's batman it should be that jack nicholson yeah. is an absolute legend 100 <laughs> percent. he makes the movie spoiler alert he makes the movie yep. <laughs> did you have anything you wanted to talk about before we start breaking down this film almost scene by scene let's break it down let's break it down so that um that opening uh the opening credit scene where they're zooming through the the Batman logo with that music, it just is very invoca. It, it, it invokes everything for Batman. It hits all my nostalgia right points right immediately right, right away. It. Yeah. It's, uh, it makes you think Batman. And immediately you know it's a Tim Burton movie, which yeah. is a positive, a yes. big time positive. And a couple other things that I noticed within the first uh, few minutes, especially that first opening scene where you basically see where the Monarch Theater is. And all the bustling and everything and all the, the tubes is that it's got that old Hollywood feel because it's yeah. there's no computer animation whatsoever. Right. It's all matte paintings and models throughout the whole movie. And it's obvious that it was uh, shot on a studio lot, but it, that adds to the charm of it because yeah. it just was a, it's a movie of its time, which you have to appreciate. I guess I kind of spoiled it for you. When I told you that this is the only Batman movie where the Joker actually kills Bruce Wayne's parents. A little bit. Yeah, so that, I mean. That's fine. Uh, you you do get tricked right away thinking, yes. no, this is where it's going to be. You're going to watch the Joker come out and kill Bruce Wayne's parents and we're going to see the birth of the Batman. Yep. But instead we see the Batman preventing something very similar to what happened to him. Yep. Psych. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> But built off of that scene, that was the first instance uh, after everything goes down where they, that uh, husband and wife get mugged and you then see the, uh, the two criminals on the, on the roof and uh, the guy says, American Express, never leave home, never yep. leave home without it. Yep. <laughs> uh, immediate tagline, I would guess that American Express probably had something to do with financing this movie. Guaranteed. <laughs> and then soon thereafter, you know... Uh, we hear one of the more iconic lines in 90s movie history where he, Batman says, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Don't kill me, man. Don't kill me, man. I don't, I'm not going to kill you. I just want you to let everybody know. I'm, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. In case there's any confusion in for case. my outfit. Yeah. <laughs> right after they just had a long conversation about the bat. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm not an imposter from Halloween Express. I, I, I am Batman. What do you think uh, the Halloween Express in Gotham would actually look like? What type of what type of costumes would they have there? I mean, it would be messed up. It, it would be. be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'd, yeah, I wonder what that yeah, actually Yeah, maybe Marvel like. characters. Yeah, that, I would like that. That would be very funny to go to a uh, Halloween Express in Gotham City, and it's just Iron Man and Captain America <laughs> and the Hulk. And right. <laughs> that is great. That is absolutely great. You know, uh, Jack Nicholson makes his first appearance very soon after that, and we see him as Jack Napier flipping those that card around, watching... Uh, watching the news and uh, he just immediately takes the scene he just immediately takes the movie it's just right away right out of the gate right out of the gate it's uh, pretty dang cool you know and then there's a couple other scenes where you really establish uh, who jack napier is and um, how he is pretty much detested by everybody and anybody um, he's willing to do whatever it takes to get his criminal enterprises uh, taken care of including bribing the police yeah. uh, a little that uh, scene with uh, lieutenant eckhart where eckhart is challenging him and uh, pulls a gun on him and then peekaboo here comes thug bob yeah. just, you better be <laughs> sure you better be sure um and then you know soon after that the whole uh, plan to take place at the access chemical plant uh, comes to fruition and uh it's very obvious that at this point, Grisham doesn't like Jack Napier either. Yeah. And, uh, he can sense the threat coming. He can definitely sense the threat, uh, coming from, uh, Jack Napier and, uh, sets him up basically. Right. And yep. do you think that Jack Napier, even before they leave for the chemical plant understands that he's getting set up? I think he knows already that it's going on, if, especially since he like, after everybody leaves is like, I really don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he knows something's up. He, he must know something is up. I mean, and soon thereafter you're at, we're at the access chemical plant and it becomes very evident that it is a setup. Uh, one of the best lines in the whole film comes out, uh, at this point, uh, would you like to deliver it? Trav? Eckhart's famous line, shoot to kill. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> So when when I rewatched this movie for the homework, it had been the first time that I had really sat down and rewatched this movie in a number of years. And when he says that, the it's so hilarious that that's made it into the into the movie. Like it had to be a joke, right? It had to be a joke. <laughs> I I had not seen this as I said in the first episode. So the only thing I wrote down the first time I watched this was that line. <laughs> shoot to kill you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) oh man Uh, but uh soon after you know jack figures out that it's a big old setup and they uh he tells everybody to be on their guard they step out of the file room and gun battle ensues with toxic chemicals flying everywhere everywhere, all (laughs) over everyone's ankles and (laughs) shins and face and Nobody cares. I bet there would be a, a cancer cluster within those uh, police officers in a few years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then it just it just uh, goes down. And they demonstrate a few times uh, that Batman is a no-kill uh, superhero. He just, yep. you know, hangs people up from the wires and stuff, which he has an infinite supply of these grappling hooks that just come out of nowhere. And oh, yeah. Come flying around. And he's a one-hit knockout kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one hit and you're done. You're yeah. sleeping. So. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I found it interesting after, you know, Jack is basically getting away. The exit is in his sight, but instead he tries to, he decides he wants to confront 
Eckhart and kill him. Yeah. That just proves how sick and twisted he is. Yeah, it really does. And uh, uh, Batman comes out of nowhere and he's like, nope, this ain't going to happen. I'm kicking that gun out of your hand. You're not going to kill anybody else like a true Batman would. And uh, soon enough, um, so we talked about that. We, we watched the movie right before we did the podcast here just to have it fresh in our minds. And we had a quick conversation about how the Joker got the scars on his face in this version of Batman. And we kind of decided that it was Jack shooting at Batman, mm-hmm. Batman blocking the bullet with his bracers, right? That's what you yeah, call yep. those things, right? The bullet then ricochets and hits the machinery that Jack has all set to basically self-destruct, explodes glass and metal, and then cuts this face up. It's on both sides. On both sides. Perfectly. Yes, it seems uh, rather convoluted, but soon enough, Jack is done the first, he gets knocked over the railing, and he's done the first impossible grab of the movie. Yep. He ends up grabbing the the railing, Batman reaches down, starts to try to help him up, and then did Batman drop Jack Napier into the toxic chemicals, or did he slip Batman's grip? I think he dropped him. I think he dropped him too, because Batman probably could have used one of his grappling hooks yep, to wrap yep. him up or get both hands over there or something. I Didn't think try very hard. I think he dropped them also. So yeah. and that uh you know, that comes to matter all the way at the end of the movie. Yep. Um and then another semi comical after Jack Napier is dunked into the chemicals and everybody is presuming that he's probably dead because of the extremely toxic chemicals. Batman does his patented smoke bomb and his grappling hook away, and um, he went to the roof, right? Where did he go? He went to the roof, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely went to the roof. <laughs> Fooling the cops, of course. But. And uh, so I liked the reverse T2 at the end of that scene when Jack Napier, now the Joker, basically reaches out of the water yeah. instead of going down like the Terminator yep. does. I liked the, re- the, the reverse T2 there at the end. So he would be pretty badly injured at this point, right? Yes. Right. Seemingly, how the hell does he walk out of that yeah, situation? Yeah. And then, like, basically a scene later, we are in the underground surgery room. Which is seemingly hours after, but there's no possible way. <laughs> right. There's just a, a, a big unexplained gap in time i I guess it's not unexplained it's just completely removed it's just it was a very glaring to me that uh it seems like probably at least a couple weeks have passed at this point and everybody presumes he's dead yes there's no way it's only been one day and everybody's assuming he's dead so it's gotta be at least a few weeks uh but that was a pretty cool scene and uh it's often parodied and fairly famous where he breaks the mirror. He wants, he wants the mirror, wants the mirror to see what he looks like. And the back alley surgeon tells him, look what I have to work with the, you know, and he says the nerves were all severed and all yep. this stuff. And he gets the mirror and does his maniacal laugh, shatters the mirror and stumbles out of there. I don't know if it's his delirium um, from basically having a complete psychotic break or yep. if he's doped up beyond belief, probably both. Probably I would both. Uh, 
we talked in the last podcast that you haven't watched a lot of Simpsons. You know, the Simpsons did parody the scene with Lisa. Really? Yes, they did. Uh, she gets braces. So it's in the episode Last Exit to Springfield, which aired March 11th in 1993. So it's a season four, episode 17. Um, and she does the exact same thing after she gets braces. And it's, it's a pretty funny thing. And it just goes to show the extent that Batman's influence uh, had on pop culture. And then, you know, soon after that, that's when we see uh, uh, the Joker confront uh, Grisham, Grisham in his loft. I don't know if that's like some office that he's in. I really don't know where the location is supposed yeah. to be, if it's supposed to be like the 70th floor. Of right. I don't, I don't know the backstory necessarily on that, but we talked a little bit how he comes out of the darkness uh, looking like a ghost. And obviously, Grisham had no idea that uh jack napier now the joker was still alive and he's terrified right away yes and he should be terrified and he didn't do a very good job of trying to hide the fact that he was going to pull a gun from his desk no uh, he uh he definitely wish i bet you wish uh he had taken another shot of whiskey before the joker got a hold of him (laughs) and then after that uh, scene now the joker is sitting literally at the seat of power where grissom used to be and uh, delivers another one of his unbelievably iconic lines. Wait till they get a load of me. And I told you I Googled this to see if this was Tim Burton paying homage to some other movie. But nope, this was the originator. And I, I don't know the exact story behind that line, if it was written that way on paper or if Jack Nicholson uh, improved it. But man, you couldn't have picked a better person to, uh, to deliver that line. Yeah, It was a very, very, like... It's a goosebumps moment for me when he says that, you know, yes. and, uh, I definitely enjoyed that. Um, no, soon after that, uh, you see an interesting scene where Vicki Vale is now following Bruce Wayne unbeknownst to Wayne because she wants to get some more information on him, obviously. And, uh, he goes and lays uh, a few roses, two roses, one for his mother and one for his father, on the street corner where they were murdered. Uh, so weird. It to is. Me. It is. It is very odd. Why wouldn't you take that to the gravesite? Because so, this way it was more mysterious, and it worked for the movie for it, her to uncover it. <laughs> it helped oh. forward the plot, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> Soon after that, though, we see the Joker uh, kill Vinny. Ricorso? I had to look up the name because they just call him Vinny and it's after he dies. Vinny Ricorso uh, by throwing that pen quill in his neck. Which does not alarm any police. They Nobody. do nothing they about just, it. You can see the police officer standing in the background just kind of <laughs> watching. Wondering everything. if he should do something. Um, and before all of this happens there's a case of multiplying mimes which is very odd in itself. One mime. Very alarming. <laughs> very alarming. If I see more than two mimes, I'm probably out of there. I would have to say the same thing. It was one mime and then two mimes and then there's four mimes. Yeah. If you go on this, there's going to be an infinite amount of mimes after a, a certain number of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Which they were all, they all had machine guns and they all shot up the whole place. And um, at this point, because, uh, I want to say, I keep wanting to say Vicki Vale, but that's not right, is it? I mean, she is. Yes, the, it's Vicki yeah, Vale. Yeah, Vicky I, vale. Uh, 
So the Adam San- in Adam Sandler movies, they all have the double V also, like Veronica. Well, Veronica Vaughn. Veronica Vaughn. Vicky, well, Vicky Vale's in this Vicky movie. Vicky Valencourt. Vicky Valencourt. Okay, <laughs> so I think I want to call her like Veronica Vale or something like that. Now I'm definitely going to not get it right. Yep. So, Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale. Um, at this point, since Vicky Vale has been tailing Bruce Wayne, and now he's she's seen him at the scene of a very bloody and violent crime uh, get get shot. I mean, it's a glancing blow. There was no blood. And just stand there where everybody else is cowering yeah. on the ground. And she still hasn't figured out that Has it's Batman. Has no idea somehow. <laughs> I would be like, oh, I guess, he, I think he's Batman. Yeah, I'm getting pretty <laughs> strong Batman vibes here. Oh, man. And then the the best thing about that whole scene is the, the, it's the slowest getaway ever. Nobody, literally nobody. I mean, at this point, all the cops in the area are dead. It is at City Hall, so you'd think that there would probably be a uh, higher presence of police officers nearby, but... One would assume. Yeah, the Joker just says, toodaloo. Toodaloo, see ya. (laughs) Uh, You know, soon after this, the master plan of the Joker uh, gets unveiled. And that was to poison everybody that wears makeup. So I guess it's mostly geared towards women. Yeah. He wants to kill a lot of women. So you must have, I guess if you subscribe to um, a Sigmund Freud thing, he's definitely got some uh, mommy issues then I would assume. Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And then you barely hear it in the movie, but the name of the toxin is Smilex toxin. Hmm. (laughs) I had the I I heard him like when he's holding up the jug and like the pirated uh, uh TV screen he says uh, now with more smile and you hear barely in the background him That's... finish the sentence or finish the word and I had to look that one up too to see what it was but have you ever heard of Max Headroom Mm-mm. okay so it was like this so Max Headroom uh was this mm, 80s like fake he was supposed to be an ai but it was done with an actor and makeup and like blue screen so he's supposed to be this computer generated ai and i bet if you googled max headroom and you saw some stuff on youtube you would at least recognize the character so the the tv show he had and i believe it was a movie also were in the early 80s and it was like a british thing so it wasn't a, a super big deal in america but he did go on to uh, basically be a pitch man for like Pepsi and let me see who else uh, pitch man for yeah pitch man for Pepsi was the big one it was a 1985 British made for TV movie turned into a TV series and there's a pretty cool uh, a video about this thing called the Max Headroom incident so in Chicago in 1987 somebody through means that are still undiscovered today was able to pirate a television signal because at the time everything was over the air, you know, it was just mm-hmm. radio signals. It's not digital like it is now. Mm-hmm. And they pro they put in their own programming and it was like this fake, fake Max Headroom. It was really, really weird and out there talking about all types of just goofy stuff. And it was like a total of like nine minutes or something like that. And uh, nobody to this day still knows who did it or anything like that. So it's it's definitely worth looking up on YouTube, the Max Headroom incident. And there's also uh, a good article that if you just Google 
30 years later, Max Headroom TV pirate remains at large. You can read um, if you're interested in seeing it. But anytime in the movie that the Joker breaks into a television uh, programming, this is what it made me think of. It kind of looked like the video it had similar qualities to it. So I don't know if that's Tim Burton, like nodding, to nodding that. to that. Cause yeah. it was only two years after the an incident that made national news, yeah, you know, definitely. And so I thought that was kind of pretty cool. And then eventually by the end of all of this scene, we go back to the, uh, uh, the two TV anchors and they, well, the, the one woman that died is no longer there, obviously. Yeah. And uh, neither of them are wearing makeup. <laughs> yep. They look rough. <laughs> they did look very rough. Um, shortly after this scene is when the movie really starts to get going towards the climax with, uh, with the uh, museum scene where Vicki Vale, uh, is obviously lured to this museum by the Joker. And we realized this um, because of the phone call she placed to Alfred saying that she was going to be 10 minutes late to dinner with Bruce. And Bruce said, uh, I don't have dinner plans. With yeah. Vale. So dun, good. Dun, dun. Yeah. Good for her. He was probably immediately put on his Batman uniform, Batman yep. outfit and went straight there. Um, this is so when the Joker and his thugs make their entrance into the museum after they've gassed everybody, I suppose I should take a step back. Vicky gets a box that says urgent and then she opens it. It's a gas mask and says, put this on now. And so she does the Joker gasses the museum. Everybody's dead, right? It's presumably not, not just knocked out. Everybody's dead. I think so. Yeah, everybody's yeah. dead. And they, seems like the Joker <laughs> thing to do. Yeah, it really does. So then they go on their own little anti-art, like, he's not stealing the art, he's just nope. destroying it. Yeah. Which is a very Heath Ledger Batman thing yeah. to do. Then uh, he, isn't he supposedly improving it? Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. He's improving the art, which, yeah. you know, I guess later on he basically, dis in that same scene, he describes on how he's improving people with his, with his art, but uh, I'm getting ahead of myself now. Uh, so he's going through the museum and he is uh, destroying, well, improving the art uh, until they get all the way up to the top where the restaurant is, where Vicky Vale's waiting with this gas mask. And he stops Bob the thug from destroying a piece of art. And I told you that's a piece of art done by Tim Burton, which is super cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And if you once you know that and uh, you can watch that scene. The painting makes many appearances in that scene. I think it's three different appearances that the painting makes in the scene. So yeah. he obviously wanted people to see that painting. When the Joker is gassing everybody, it reminded me a lot of the 60s Batman because they had all the Dutch angles. Everybody was fainting, well, dying, but yeah. like it was, everybody was falling over. It just really reminded me of... Uh, it <laughs> really reminded me of that Adam West Batman. Uh do you know what other movies really famous for their Dutch angles? Do you know what I mean by when I say Dutch angles? Uh uh. So like when the cam when like the shot is like a skew. So not everything is like centered and straight on. It's kind of at an angle or like sure. looking up. You know what I mean? Right? Almost like the camera's falling over with the yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um now next time you watch Thor, and this is pretty uh well known. Well, next time you watch Thor. Keep in mind that that movie is like 99% Dutch angles. Okay. You will never, ever be able to unsee it. And you'll just sure. be like, oh my Lord, is there ever going to be a straight on <laughs> regular shot in this movie? 
<laughs> and interestingly enough, too, with this scene, it's even though Prince made a whole uh, soundtrack, this is the first time a Prince song is featured featured in the movie. About an hour in. An hour and one minute into, yep. <laughs> into the whole movie. And that song, Party Man, which in the soundtrack, Prince wrote songs about specific characters and specific scenes, I believe, also. Like, that was his intent when he was writing the songs. This song is actually about Jack Nicholson and not about the Joker. Because apparently during the filming and all that stuff and just Prince being involved with Hollywood-type people, Jack Nicholson was a party animal. So, I believe it. Yeah, and so that was the whole impetus of that song. That was the whole idea. You know, I guess an interesting side note about, the, about Prince... Uh, in this uh, movie. So this album for Batman was his first like number one album since 1986 is kiss. And there's a pretty good article on uh, showbiz cheats cheat sheet called Prince recorded an album for Tim Burton's Batman movie because he was in debt and needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't really need to read the article after you hear that because it's yeah. basically he's, he Prince spent too much money producing songs and it was an opportunity for him to be creative and still make a bunch of money. And like I said in the last podcast, his popularity was on the way down. It was just, you know, it was the way that that type of stuff goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they have their big escape from this scene, right? The, the Batman comes down showering everybody with glass in the museum and then him and Vicki Vale are out of there and they escape via the Batmobile, correct? Correct. Yeah, and they do that cool little uh, um, zip line out of there. He kicks the doors open. One of the guards feigns jumping up. Like, I, I, you probably could have grabbed Batman's ankles probably if he wanted to drive. He's probably like, I don't get paid enough for this stuff. I don't want to actually But the Joker's Batman. too in awe of the gadgets. He is, he is. Where does he get all these fancy toys, right? Yeah. Isn't that what he yep. says? And uh, they get out, and he says, get in the car. <laughs> and she <laughs> says, which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the giant black one over there. <laughs> yeah, try the one that doesn't look like a normal vehicle, maybe. <laughs> right. And so this is the first time. This is the first time we get to see the Batmobile in action, right? Yes. Uh, it's not an overly long scene where he's driving away and escaping from everybody. He does use a cool little grappling hook again to get around this corner uh causing a giant accident where people just keep on driving into it just over keep and over. piling up right uh are, are you a futurama fan i've seen some but i i've not seen all of it do sure. you remember the brain episode where all the brains come from space and like make everybody really stupid i don't so think these so. giant brains come from space and make everybody really stupid and on the news this scene just re- this scene in batman reminded me of this futurama episode uh there's a giant uh, like train crash at their like main hub in this in Futurama in the future in New New York, and uh, the newscaster says, um, according to the mayor, he oh, the news the newscaster says, oh man, I'm butchering this terribly. Uh, he says uh, she says uh, that she's gonna just keep on sending in more trains into this accident because everybody's really stupid, and that's what. Uh, <laughs> That's what this scene That's reminded me of. Like. Just keep on sending in more and more and more cars. And uh, you asked me last episode what my favorite Batmobile was. Mm, I did. Having not seen this, I did say the Dark Knight because I like the tank feel on that. And I've seen the new one now too. And I'm going to have to read. 
assess my answer, oh, and I do think this is my favorite Batmobile. Really? That's, Tim Burton that's awesome. It's, it's the most Batman Batmobile. It is. I mean, the other ones are still cool, of course, but they're much updated, and they don't really give you, oh, that's the Batmobile. Right. You know? Right. But I like this one a lot. Yeah, it's a very cool Batmobile, and it just, like, the... Uh, Nolan Batmobile, like you said, is a tank. Mm-hmm. The new uh, Pattinson Batmobile. Is what, like a Mustang? It, it's I mean, like it's, a hot it's rod a, yeah. something. It's cool. You it's know, super it's really cool, cool, but it's basically a muscle car. It's yeah. basically a muscle car. But like the Tim Burton's Batman, that Batmobile is like, that's the Batmobile. That's the Batmobile. Yeah. There's no denying what yeah. it could it's possibly be. It's almost like they knew they couldn't replicate that, so they had to go completely different for the new one. Yeah, and I think that's probably what they definitely did. Um, but soon after, the Batmobile becomes, to get back to the Batmobile here, becomes incapacitated. Um, Batman and Vicky Vale get out of the Batmobile, and Batman says, Shields. 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 That was, so we talked about it a little bit. The final, the final shot of the Batmobile with the shields on it was probably like a physical thing put on top of the car, right? Must be. But when it's transitioning, that was definitely like animation, animation, probably like drawn on each individual like uh, movie cell, right? Probably. Yeah. Um, they escape running into an alley, which got Gotham seems like it's all alleyways. All alleys. <laughs> it's all alleys. They, One giant alley. <laughs> when they when they designed Gotham, uh, the city planner must have been like, you know, I do like streets, but you know where it's at. Alleys. Alleyways. Let's put some alleys <laughs> in the alleys. <laughs> that alleyway? I think it needs an alleyway. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so they're pinned... You know, they got no place to go. Batman gets out a grappling hook <laughs> and asks Vicky Vale one of the most sexist questions in the whole movie. How much um, do you weigh? Uh, 108, I think. And then later they shame her for not being 108 pounds. I know. And I, that just, no. No, <laughs> and we've talked about this. This is stuff that we're going to run across in all of these movies. That there's going to be stuff that just doesn't hold up. There really is. Like, uh, we already passed over the hello legs. Oh, we did. <laughs> yes, when Vicky Vale does get introduced. Those are the first lines that Alexander... Knox. Knox, there you go. Thank you. Alexander Knox says to her, hello, legs. And then by the end of the scene, he's asking her to marry him. And then he settles for lunch instead. Just a dirty pig. (laughs) Dirty, dirty pig. (laughs) Dirty pig. Uh, So they are escaping by grappling hook. They don't make it all the way because, like I said, Batman's going to shame her later for not being 108 pounds. Yep. So he says one of the more sexually ambiguous lines of the movie, grab onto that thing by my belt. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) something along the lines. Whatever you do, don't let go. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't let go. Uh, So she grabs it. He falls to the ground, and then there's their, there's the thugs. They shoot him point-blank range in the chest with their pistols. I think it was at least two, maybe three pistols, point-blank range, right? Yep. And then one of the thugs says, who is this guy? Check his wallet. 
<laughs> I wish that they would have rolled him over and like pulled a wallet out of his back. Oh, that would have been great. <laughs> Speaking of things that don't hold up, uh, Batman's costume does not hold up. It's pretty brutal. It is pretty brutal. It's like, very basic. It's like, very basic, and the whole immobile head thing is, you know, it's been... I can't get over that. No, nah, it's been <laughs> done to death, too, but it's just so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad, and... I don't like how the headpiece is over the cape. Yes. Like, I don't notice if it's... Maybe it is that way in the other ones, and you don't notice it, but it's like... How does this cape function in any way if mm-hmm. this headpiece is so firm over it? <laughs> right. And yeah, it's just the thickness of that rubber around, like it just is, it just does not hold up whatsoever. And I don't know why they decided to go with the extremely rigid neck. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't either. Who was like, yeah, make his neck rigid and immobile. Yeah. Do, do bats not turn their heads? <laughs> I, am I confused here? I don't know. I do not want him to be able to look side to side without turning his entire body. <laughs> yeah. I want you to see the bat logo wherever he looks. <laughs> maybe you that know? was why they did it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so after they try to check his wallet, uh, they obviously get into a big fight. Batman beats everybody up. Bob the goon, Bob the bad guy, you know, Joker's right-hand man gets the final final comedic little bit where he's holding a knife and Batman gives him the, come on over here, and he just drops the knife. He tosses it, he's out of there. Yeah. So, in that scene also, there is the first obligatory Indiana Jones moment. Do you know what I mean by... Indiana Jones moment. I don't because okay. I haven't seen those. You haven't seen you haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nope. Okay, so that's the first one. <laughs> yeah. So that's the that's the first uh, in the series for Indiana Jones. And in that movie, famously, Indiana Jones faces off against a sword wheeling um, assailant, and the guy's flipping his sword everywhere, doing all this really fancy stuff. And Indiana Jones just looks at him, pulls a gun out of his holster, and shoots him dead. And that's pretty much what happens here, but it's just like some contraption in his hand. Yes, and it just destroys him. Just destroys so, him in right. one hit. It destroys him in one hit. So it was like... Well, he gets up one more time, does some more fancy swinging, yeah. and then he's done for. So then he's, he's a done two, for. He's a two-hitter. He's, he is a two-hitter. Uh, so it was, a, it was obligatory Indiana Jones moment, and it's interesting to find those in many other movies because they are everywhere. Yeah, like, what is this dude doing quadra-flipping <laughs> over the fence? And I mean, seriously, it was a little too much. It but. was a little bit too much. Um, so after all this goes down, he and Vicky Vale head back to, uh, well, they don't head back to the Batmobile. The Batmobile comes to them, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, he says, shields off, right? Shields off or shields up? Shields off. I shields think. off. Shields off. And does he direct the Batmobile to come to him or is it just start does going? Does he have GPS on him? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he might. I, mean, that would, I guess that would make the most sense, but it does come flying at him. And for some reason or another, he had to tell it to stop. Like, do you think if he didn't tell it to stop that it would have ran him over? Well, or do you think he... Apparently. <laughs> like, do you think he told the Batmobile to stop because he wanted to impress Vicky Vale? do you think maybe he's a little bit of a showman there <laughs> so like he didn't need to say stop like it would have stopped on its own but he wanted to look imagine. cool <laughs> yeah check this out stop <laughs> um so 
they get back into the Batmobile and they go flying off to the Batcave, which has a really, really cool scene uh, in between, in between those two scenes when he is, when they are in the Batmobile driving to the Batcave and they go through the most Tim Burton forest in cinema history. (laughs) (laughs) And it it really, really works for the movie. It looks super duper cool. It does. Uh, The leaves flying everywhere. The like, almost dead looking forest that he's going through. Cause obviously mm-hmm. the leaves are all on the ground. So the, you know, but, uh, uh, it's super cool. It makes me think of, uh, movies like, uh, uh nightmare before Christmas. Definitely. Uh, makes me think of Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice yeah. uh, which are all good movies that could definitely be making appearances on this podcast. That's some will some be. Yeah, definitely will be. I, Eventually. I don't, I don't know if, if doing a Tim Burton film as our first homework assignment is a blessing or a curse, because I feel like we're going to fall into a Tim Burton hole like very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And just because his best content is from that mid eighties to late nineties, right. you know, it's right in our wheelhouse type of thing. So, uh, it's probably a good thing, but if you, if you would, uh, Trav, I'd like you to join me in the Batcave. <laughs> so we're in the back cave. Whoa. <laughs> and uh Alfred <laughs> We made it into the back cave. Do you think Bruce Wayne knows we're in here? Bruce Wayne knows nothing. He knows nothing. Um do you want to continue to do this whole part in the back cave or should we step out of the back cave so it's actually listenable? We should probably step out of the back cave. <laughs> Alfred <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. We're moving out of the Batcave. Okay, great. But this is the first time that we did get to see the Batcave and it is a very cool Batcave. Like it's probably the coolest one. It's like, like you said, watching it, it's a literal cave. It's a cave that he customized to Mm -hmm. make awesome. There's some interesting platforms with like one single piece of equipment on them. Like, Mm -hmm. well, you really going to go up a 25 foot ladder to just use that one piece of equipment? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I know we don't use that much. We can put that over here. (laughs) It's definitely with Burton's aesthetic over uh, uh, functionality sometimes, but uh, it it definitely looked really cool. And I did write down in my notes that the Batcave had a very, very good Tim Burton aesthetic. Mm -hmm. It's obviously because it's a Tim Burton movie, his fingerprints are all over it. I mean, it it should be. It's his uh, ideas, the way he put it together. Um, so this is where they have like the first, he's still in his Batman uh, uniform, Batman costume. What do you think is a better way to say it? Costume or uniform? Costume sounds like he's a weirdo. Uniform sounds like he's going to go punch a clock somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he punches the clock for Batman? You see punches in and punches out, keeps track of his overtime and all that type of stuff. I mean, he might. He might. Who knows? For taxes, he is a billionaire. He's got to get those loopholes. Yeah. Right? Yep. <laughs> Uh, but they really get down to business in this scene talking about the cosmetics and what Batman basically discovered. He discovered that it's not one cosmetic that is causing people to die with hideous grins on their faces. It's a combination of all the different cosmetics mm-hmm. that everybody uses in their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I pointed it out to you. Had you noticed that there was all types of bathroom items on his I, console. I didn't at all. So if you look in the background of that scene, there's mouthwash and toothpaste and lotions and all types of stuff just sitting on his console. And when I was a kid, 
I always thought, like, oh, he's just a really busy Batman. He doesn't have time to go upstairs to Wayne Manor and brush his teeth and do all that stuff. No, he's doing tests on the cosmetics to figure out that, you know, because he's a detective. So yeah. he figured it out. And obviously that's how we figured it out. Makes so. sense. Um, so then they get uh, they get everything out into the media saying that it's multiple cosmetics and all that stuff. And soon after um, all that goes down, um, Batman and Alfred have a little bit of a heart to heart about Vicky Vale and how she could be the one for Batman. And he's like, ah, I don't know if I have enough time. You marry her. That's what he <laughs> says. <laughs> you marry her, Alfred. Um, so, but after being inspired by Alfred and them talking about how Vicky Vale is the bee's knees is a real cool gal, he decides that it's time for him to go to her apartment and say, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> Except he doesn't say, I'm Batman. No, he doesn't get to it. He tries really, really hard to uh, get those words out of his mouth and it literally looked like he was going to say, I'm Batman. He doesn't know how to say it normal. So. <laughs> I'm Batman. Uh, but, uh, you know. But why, why is it so hard to say that? If she already likes him mm -hmm. as Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. and he saved her as Batman already. Mm -hmm. And Batman's a badass. And she should have been able to. have anything. What could go wrong in that situation? So, like, the whole idea behind hiding your identity is to protect those around you, right? But True. he's got nobody around him besides Alfred really to protect. So you're right. Why doesn't he just say I'm Batman? Nobody knows. <laughs> I mean, really, she probably should have been able to figure it out. Yes, we definitely <laughs> talked about how there was way too many instances where she should have known he was Batman. Like when he's hanging upside down in the bedroom. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot after about After they that. hook up that first yeah. night, she's just like, no. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I did. I did decide to glance over that scene, but you're right. He did uh, sleep with her that night after she had too much to drink, which is another thing. He had one. He had, had one. And he's flying after one. He all right. Flying. <laughs> the Batman is flying after one drink. He, yes, he is, because he's he's not a big drinker. He is not a big drinker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know they're at Vicky's apartment. He pushes her down very misogynistically, kind of in like a, hey, you're being a crazy woman. Sit down and let me talk, which is another instance of this. Doesn't happen anymore. No, that stuff shouldn't really be in movies anymore. It really shouldn't. Um, soon after that, the Joker makes an appearance, which he must have been behind us. Bruce Wayne must have been behind a screen or off to the side or something because Joker does not notice Bruce Wayne in the apartment right away at all. Or just doesn't care. It just, or? yeah. Or just doesn't care completely. I don't think he notices him because later in that scene, he does say, Oh, Bruce Wayne. Like, right. So he obviously knows who he is already at that point. Yeah. And he's not very surprised to see him there, which is odd in itself. You think he would be a little bit more on guard about that. But yeah. Whatever. I guess it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and so Bruce, in a scene before he gets confronted by the Joker, he sees a metal tray, a silver tray, which he manages to untuck his shirt, probably undo his belt, untuck his shirt, get it underneath his shirt, retuck his shirt in, put his belt back on, and then get back out there in time to take a bullet in the chest. Which, yeah. <laughs> you know, after he, do you think he's like trying to, uh, trying to egg the joker on to actually get him to shoot him it seems like he's trying to do almost right like, like he's, shoot him and get him out of there yeah maybe that's like he knows that the joker shoots for the heart and only the heart yeah <laughs> yep. he won't shoot my face what if he shot you in the face 
That what, was a risk we were willing to take. What is that from? Dumb and Dumber. No, that is from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> yeah, what if he shot you in the face? <laughs> that's also uh, kind of in Super Troopers too, right? When they're doing the uh, the metal, the bulletproof cup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's another great movie. That little guy. Don't worry about Don't that worry little guy. Don't worry about that little guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Joker shoots him in the chest. Um, leaves like it's no big deal because he thinks Bruce Wayne's dead. He just killed the richest man in Gotham. Uh, he asked for a moment, which I don't really know why, because he just talked to Vicky a couple more things, and then he left. He dips, Vicky turns around, and Bruce is gone. Bruce is gone, so she should have been like, at that point, oh my God, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Nope, nope, <laughs> no. still didn't click for Vicky. Still didn't click for Vicky, but uh, Bruce is gone at this point. Um, and you know, I did. Did you notice that the bullet was like halfway through? Halfway through, so, so he would be bleeding yeah. or broken rib he, or oh man, something. He, I don't think he would have been getting up. Off the floor. Yeah, <laughs> but he is Batman. He should be super duper fit. I mean, he does hang upside down every night after. During <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Uh, and then you know, after this is when we move on to the Vicky, or excuse me, the Wayne murder flashback, which. It's interesting that they waited until three quarters of the movie to really reveal um, how Batman became Batman. Yeah. And in this movie, like we said before, it's the only one where the Joker is actually responsible for Bruce Wayne's parents' death. Mm -hmm. Uh, The actor that they uh, chose for that, let me get his name here, Hugo E. Blick. Dead ringer. That was a heck of a casting job by whoever perfect. the casting director Seriously was. Seriously perfect. He's uh, got the smile and he's got the hairline. Everything's perfect. It was just absolutely perfect. And uh, I think of the famous line, you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I think of it in the way that he says it, not yeah. in the way that Jack Nicholson says it Agreed. or anybody else says it. That's the, in my mind, when I think of that line, I think of... And I'm like, really um, glad that they didn't use Jack Nicholson and pretend like he was younger. And that, you know. So today, they probably would have like de-aged him digitally, right? right and exactly. it would have looked really, really weird. Yeah. Yeah. They're just a really good casting director. Yeah. Um, um, and then... You get that final showdown next after all this goes down at the Axis Chemical Factory where Batman sends the Batmobile in. It drives around in a whole bunch of fire, blowing everything up, destroying <laughs> the Joker's uh, lair, which did you find it odd that the Joker chose the place where he was deformed uh, as the his hideout? Sort of, yes. Yeah. It was a little bit interesting, um, but, uh, um, you know, I guess it makes sense. Maybe because he's... Assuming he's immune to said chemical, hey, at this could point? I, it or could he's be. just not afraid anymore. It could or? be, but either way, the Axis Chemical Plant is long gone. Long gone. Um, uh, and the, I did. I wrote. I wrote down that the Batmobile looked wicked badass in this. Day. <laughs> <laughs> it does look wicked. It badass. really did. Um, soon after that, the Joker then breaks into another TV broadcast while uh, the mayor and Harvey Dent are having. Um, a uh, press conference about all the crime that's going on and that everything's going to be a-okay for the 200th uh, anniversary party and all this stuff. And uh, um, I completely lost my train of thought. I don't even know where I was going with that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he busts in to tell everybody that he's going to throw $20 million at this parade to get everybody there. Yeah. Um, which, you know, Seems like a really nice thing to do, right? Yeah. So, I mean, really nice. everybody's going to go. I prefer money over candy at points. 
<laughs> so they have the parade and the Joker's throwing the money like he said. And then he gasses him. Then he gasses him. <laughs> then you got a handful of money. <laughs> you're dead. And you're dead. And you're dead. But we do get the bat wing out of this, which is always a positive. Which is super cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, the only movie, the only Batman movie the with the bat wing. Yeah, yeah, it's the only one I can think of. That I can't think of it being in any other scene. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to see like maybe where he stored it, where it right. came from. Maybe just seen it. I guess it was probably a big reveal. Like it was probably one of those things that uh, people didn't know it was coming when the movie was coming out. So True. maybe you don't you don't foreshadow it within the movie. But it would have been, I guess, that's something that we expect from more modern movies that are a lot longer, where yeah. you can fit more story into them. Um, but it does a heck of a job. He flies that thing all over the place. Has that very specialized tool in the front made for catching uh, balloon wires. Yeah, <laughs> catches them all. Stole my balloons. <laughs> catches them all. Takes them up into the atmosphere, clips them, they go flying off, and uh, no more balloons. No more balloons. Um, Joker's pissed. Joker is very angry. So then Bruce Wayne decides, well not Bruce Wayne, Batman decides to come around in the Batwing one more time to take out the Joker. But the Joker has a secret weapon, quite literally. Quite literally. (laughs) This was my second favorite scene of the movie that I referenced earlier. And it's definitely, if you think of the Dark Knight with Heath Ledger waiting in the middle of the road for that semi, just begging Batman to come at him, mm-hmm. it was 100% a nod to this scene. Definitely. And it, it gave me the chills seeing this for the first time because it's just so awesome. And then you see him pull out this pistol that's the size of his leg <laughs> <laughs> and one shots Batman down to the ground. Yeah, which, you know, it must have been one heck of a bullet in that thing, which... Uh, I can, I can, it's believable from the Joker because he's got all types of wacky gadgets too. But what's not believable is like you said, when we were watching this, what is up with Batman's computer system and this Batwing that he supposedly locks him in and misses not only every bullet coming out of these Gatling guns, multiple missiles. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna need to work on that computer system. Yeah, gonna need to get something better. He pulled out that uh, uh, Star Wars uh, X-wing looking thing to you know look it down and yep, uh, and it did not go well for him. That's for sure. Didn't do much. Ended up crashing pretty hard at the Gotham Cathedral. Um, You know, interestingly enough, this is the final scene in the movie at the Gotham Cathedral. Um, There's a little bit of a crazy story about this scene. Originally, uh. Batman was supposed to summon a whole bunch of live bats with a sonar device to basically kill the Joker. That was going to be how the movie was going to end, be pretty succinct and take care of everything. And that's it. You know, got a whole bunch of bats to take care of the Joker. But uh, they're one of the producers on this movie. His name is John Peters. Do you have any idea who John Peters is? Mm -mm. John Peters is famous for producing the Superman movie that never was. Um, Nicolas Cage was once tapped to be Superman. Wow. Yeah. Um, So if you go to cracked.com and search the bonkers behind the scenes story of the ending of Tim Burton's Batman by J.M. McNabb, uh, you can read this whole story. Um, but I'm going to give you some some quick points here. So John Peters, he owned the rights to Superman. Nick Cage was going to be Superman. And Tim Burton was to direct this Superman. 
Um, but John Peters had some very specific things about his Superman movie that he, uh, he wanted in it. Number one, Superman couldn't fly. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, Superman had to have a black suit instead of his trademark red and blue. So Batman style. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the final big thing that John Peters needed to have in this Superman movie was Superman was to fight a giant spider. That was going to be the pinnacle of the movie. That was going to be the apex, the uh, the finale of the movie. Is John feeling okay? <laughs> Um, needless to say, this script went back to rewrites so many times that the studio said, we're done with that. <laughs> we're done with that. All right. So John Peters, he decided to put Kim Basinger in the finale of the movie. She wasn't supposed to be in it. Do you happen to know why Kim Basinger was shoehorned into the finale of the movie? She was dating John Peters at the time. Ah, <laughs> makes sense. So a movie that was already over budget, he's changing the finale of the film. He uh, okayed a $100,000, 38 foot, foot, 38 foot tall uh, model to be built of the cathedral. And this scene was so haphazardly thrown together. It was largely improvised. And to put the cherry on the top here, Nicholson apparently asked Tim Burton why his character would walk up all those stairs in this cathedral. Because that doesn't really make much sense, right? No. Why wouldn't you just go to some building with an elevator or have the helicopter come down and get you from street level? Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton had to tell Jack Nicholson, a, one of the biggest movie stars in the world at that time, you could probably say he's one of the biggest movie stars still. Uh, I don't know why you would do that, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> So, so the movie can happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically it, you know? So that final scene is completely different than what was originally, uh, originally was going to happen. Do you think that's uh, for the good or for the bad? Would you like to have seen the old ending? So was he not supposed to die in the old ending? He dies, yes, oh, he okay, dies. Okay. Um, I don't know, because you get some head scratchers with the, how the hell does he hold on to the sledge when he gets yes, hit off that's, the end there? You know, during, that's the, uh, one of the other impossible grab moments. There's two in that scene when, uh, the bat, when Batman gets knocked, uh, almost over the edge where the giant, uh, bell is, he imagine, manages to grab onto something and kill a dude in the process by throwing him down into the destroyed stairwell, which I didn't think Batman killed anybody. I didn't think so either, but apparently he does. Right. And then the Joker gets thrown over the edge at the very end and he manages to grab onto uh, the ledge all the while grabbing onto Vicky Vale and Batman and throwing them over the edge before he's Re able to get his footing. Yeah, <laughs> regaining his own balance while mm. Batman, the superhero can't do the same. Right. Uh, so, I mean, Basically, at the end of the film, uh, Batman and Vicky Vale are hanging onto the edge of the uh, tower. Uh, the Joker is getting rescued by the helicopter, and Batman makes the shot of his life and manages to grapple hook the Joker's foot to a giant gargoyle, which eventually gets torn off the side of the building. Probably should have ripped the Joker in half. Probably should have ripped the Joker in half. <laughs> and ultimately was the... the met his demise because of this 300 400 pound gargoyle that drags him to his death and again these two up in the helicopter why don't they just lower it <laughs> 10 feet let him maybe drop down get that unattached and get out of there but 
no, no, no. No, not going to happen. So just climb. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so at this point, uh, well, now Batman and Vicky also end up falling. And once again, saved by the grappling hook. How many grappling hooks does he have on him? An infinite supply of grappling infinite hooks. Infinite supply. He's probably got a gadget. So he doesn't have like an infinite supply of grappling hooks on his belt. He's got a gadget that manufactures grappling hooks yeah. as he needs them, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. That's got to be what it is. Okay. I'm going to go with that because that's the only way that really makes sense. Yep. So the m- movie ends with uh, Batman and Vicky Vale hanging from a rope. The Joker having some sort of laugh box, maniacally, there's the word, maniacally laughing, which I said to you means that he probably planned on dying, or at least plans on dying at any situation. Like That's just how little life and death probably means to him, well, meant to him, because he's dead now. Um, And then... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Somehow he didn't turn into goo. Yeah, yeah, he should have been a red splatter after that fall, that's for sure. Um, and then the final scene, classic Batman, uh, after they reveal to the citizens that Batman is now on the police's side and we're going to fight corruption and, uh, Alexander Knox gets his, uh, final line in and says, how are we going to signal him or how are we going to let him know we need his help? And there's the bat signal. There's the bat signal. Cut to Batman standing guard over Gotham city. Like he always does. He's Batman. He's Batman. (laughs) So I will definitely give this movie, I'm going to say, on a rating of five, I'm going to give it 4.8. I'm Batman. Out of five. That's what I'm going to give it. 4.8. 4.8. It's it's, Batman. For me, it's judging it on a piece of nostalgia, it's nearly a perfect piece of nostalgia for me. Definitely. It's a, a very... It's a good Batman movie. If you've seen everything else Batman and you haven't seen 1989 Tim Burton's Batman, do yourself a favor and go see it. And if you've listened to this whole podcast and you didn't see it, what are you doing? What are you doing <laughs> to yourself? You should have watched it before we had the podcast. Like, duh. Seriously. <laughs> Get with it, people. Get with it. So is there anything else that you'd like to add to this? Anything else that you want to talk about with Batman? I just want to remind everybody that the others would not have happened without this Batman. That's true. This Very one true. is, I'm honestly surprised that I haven't seen it, but I did love it very much. And it's hard to pick which one's my favorite of the three. So we're going to leave that a mystery. Leave it a mystery. Um, so I guess it's thanks for thanks to everybody that actually did the homework from our last episode because that means you listened to the very first episode which is cool which is very cool um but now we're going to move on to our homework assignment um it makes sense for our next homework assignment to be batman returns um like i said we might fall down a little bit of a tim burton rabbit hole but we're going to go with batman returns for your homework assignment um a quickle a couple quickle is that like a couple quick, a quickle, quickle, a quickle? I'm just going to start saying that now instead of a couple of quick facts. I'm going to call it a quickle. Um, did you know that this is considered Batman Returns is considered to be part of the unofficial, uh, uh, the unofficial Tim Burton holiday trilogy, which include 1990s Edward Scissorhands, 1992 Batman Returns, and 1993's Nightmare Before Christmas. 
because they all came out in December? Or they what? all take place over Christmas. That's oh, okay. an interesting thing about Batman Returns is Batman Returns came out in June. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie. Interesting. It's, it's, it takes place in Christmas. Uh, people consider it a Christmas movie. I consider it a Christmas movie. Uh, in this movie, Burton, Keaton, Basinger, they all return. Um, some great names got added to the cast. Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny DeVito, Christopher <laughs> Christopher Walken, Paul Rubens. You know who Paul Rubens is? Name sounds familiar. That's Pee Wee Herman. Oh, okay. This was Paul Rubens' first uh, movie role after he got busted playing Touchy Selfie in an adult theater. Yikes. <laughs> I mean, you heard about that story, right? I've heard they... That's literally what happened. He was in an adult movie theater, like a movie theater that you would go to watch pornography. And he got busted by the police for touching himself inappropriately. Pee-wee. <laughs> it ruined oh, wow. his Pee-wee Herman career for many years, but uh, Tim Burton still had faith in him, that's for sure. Yeah, not a problem here. And then finally, Erica Andrish. Erica Andrish. Trav, you strike me as an American Gladiators fan. I've never seen that. Oh my goodness, American Gladiators. Well, she was uh, Diamond on American Gladiators, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, I've that's diamond from american gladiators that's hilarious that she's in tim burton batman returns um like i said it was one of paul i wrote down this is what i wrote down because i was at one of paul rubin's first roles post masturbation scandal <laughs> <laughs> the first I mean, it was between buffy the vampire slayer march 10th 1992 and batman returns june 19th 92 um it grossed 266.8 million dollars worldwide on a budget of 80 million so that's pretty good cash right there. Yep. And today's money, it's a, over a half a billion dollars. And it was nominated for two Academy Awards. I did not know that, and I thought that was really interesting, even though it was for just best visual effects and uh, best makeup. But still, I mean, anything, anytime you can get a superhero movie nominated for an Oscar, that's Definitely. pretty dang cool. Uh, it didn't win either, but still really cool. Once you, I mean, you haven't seen this one. Correct. Right, once you do... Uh, watch this you will really appreciate those things in the movie especially and doing the research for this i really it brought back a lot of memories i i really think that this was the batman the of the first four the one that i probably wa i i watched the most i bet sure i feel one. like i've heard that this is the best one it is very good it is very very good um you know why it matters I read an interesting article called All the Ways Batman Returns Was the Greatest Anti-Blockbuster by William Fisher. And this was published uh, in 2000, or, uh, 2021, so it was a good year ago. And uh, it was on Collider.com. Um, the tagline in the article is, Warner Brothers wanted a sequel. Tim Burton wanted kinky. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that's some clickbait for you i guess yeah, yeah. huh it uh had a bigger budget than uh the first batman film and tim burton was basically given free reign to do what he wanted to do and apparently what he wanted to do was to poke fun at giant blockbuster hollywood blockbuster movies this is an it's an anti-blockbuster i mean just the fact that it is a movie set at christmas that was released in june do you expect to see a Christmas movie in June? Never. Now, with the advent of streaming, that may not seem so weird now because you can watch anything you want, anytime you want. But right. that is definitely not a normal thing to do no. in 1992. You know, it's definitely a different kind of Batman movie, and you can even say that about 1989, 1989 uh, Batman. 
most people would uh, expect like a classic superhero arc where you see the superhero, the superhero has a setback, the superhero claws back to success and then saves the day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, both Batman 89 and Batman Returns are more concerned with uh, exploring who Bruce Wayne is and who Batman is and mm -hmm. why Batman does what Batman does. Right. It's not so much about what he's doing, but it's why he's doing it. Yeah. Um, really, you only see, so in this article, the point that I really opened my eyes to both of these movies was the fact that you see Batman reacting to what's happening. He's not in an active role of stopping crime or going and finding these people. He's taking on this stuff as it's happening. Right. He's doing it. He's out patrolling just like a police officer would. You're out patrolling. You're reacting to situations. You're figuring out what you need and you're doing the best Batman stuff you can do. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Burton was given tons of latitude with Batman Returns and he gave the studio and most importantly the audience something completely unexpected. And when you see this movie, you're going to see it's completely unexpected. Sure. It's quite, it's very good. And it's quite different than what you really expect. Like you understand what a Tim Burton movie means. Yeah. So it won't be like so much like, Oh my God, I can't believe any of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it, it's a definitely a very cool take on Batman and how a Batman sequel can be handled. Spoiler request. Is his suit any different? No, nope, same, same, same dumb suit. suit. Same <laughs> dumb suit. So, sorry, people. <laughs> same dumb suit. So that was definitely a spoiler, I guess. Um, uh, with that, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about for Batman Returns? Anything you potentially could share with that? I love Jack Nicholson more than I thought I did already. Mm -hmm. And I've seen online so many times who's the best Joker, and in my head it was just always Heath Ledger. There's no comparison. I thought, oh, I'm sure Jack Nicholson is good. Everyone can agree that Leto was probably the worst. And then you see some people say... Mark Hamill for the animated was the best, but man, I'd have to rewatch the dark Knight to get it. But after watching this twice, I don't know if it gets better than Jack Nicholson. You said it very well. Um, Nicholson and uh, Heath Ledger's jokers have a lot of similarities, but they're also two different takes on the same character. Two different takes. I can definitely tell Ledger respects the hell out of Nicholson because he gives multiple nods Agreed. to his character, which is really cool. I like Agreed. seeing that. Agreed. Uh, yeah, definitely a very good movie. I'm excited to watch the sequel, and uh, there's a, probably a pretty good chance we're going to continue with the Batman theme for a couple more movies. Uh, yep, there <laughs> might be four of them. Uh, you know, I was going to throw in talking about how I played the Game Boy uh, Batman and the N Nintendo Batman, and even now that I have the Super Nintendo Batman Returns, that I even played that a little bit. But I think I may want to save the some of those video games for maybe their own little short episode. Sure. Uh, maybe we can touch on them a little bit more in the next episode, but uh, unless you got anything else, I'm ready to transition to our outro. Time for the outro. All Time right. for some fan questions. So our first one is from Retro Gamer wants to know, are there any games you remember renting a bunch when you were a kid besides Metal Gear Solid mm. for you, Drew? Uh, Kirby All-Stars for the Super Nintendo. That was a game that I rented quite a bit. It was a popular one at Hollywood Video, and it was they only had the one copy. And uh, it was like, for a long time, it was 
go to Hollywood Video, go to the game section, look for Kirby All-Stars. If it wasn't there, okay, we'll go find our second choice. So Kirby All-Stars. I love that game. I still play it today. Always praying that your save file is still on that yes, copy of the game. Yes, and occasionally it would be, and a lot of times it wouldn't be. Yeah, like, what are you doing <laughs> deleting my save? Yeah, for me, I wrote down a couple that I always remember. Booger Man. <laughs> Booger! I don't think I know that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, you've never played Booger Man? I don't Man. think so. Is it Super Nintendo? It's Super Nintendo and Genesis, and actually. Genesis. Yeah, I mean, you, you're Booger Man. Okay. You're in a green outfit and with a red cape, and your attacks are flicking boogers. That okay. is like a fireball for Mario. You fart, so okay. fart clouds, okay. and, th- and then burps. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just a like a... Uh, Kind of like a Mario platformer from one side to the other. Cool. And then I wrote down Mickey's Ultimate Challenge. Hmm. There's another Super Nintendo puzzle game. And Earthworm Jim 2. I was just going to say that uh, Boogerman sounded like Earthworm Jim to me. That's what I thought of. I love Earthworm Jim. That's a good video game. All Super Nintendo again. I can't get away from Super Nintendo. No, can't get away. That's a good system. Next question is from... Yeah, I like movies. Wants to know, same question as before, but movies. Any movies you remember renting a bunch when you were a kid? I was really into the Mad Max trilogy. Um, I I saw uh, Mad Max Road Warrior on TV, probably on TNT or AMC or something like that on a Sunday afternoon. That's that Mel Gibson dystopic future. There's no gasoline type of thing. And mm-hmm. uh I would, I would rent Road Warrior, rent Road Warrior, and then I found that that was actually the second movie in the series, so I rented Mad Max, which was a, like very Australian um, uh, uh, Mel Gibson uh, doing the same kind of thing, fighting gangs, but it's a little bit before like the really the world kind of goes to crap. Sure. And then the third one, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, um, the most Hollywood of the three movies is definitely really cool master blaster tina turner's in it she <laughs> sings a couple of songs on the soundtrack that would be one that i'd be really interested in doing for an episode so some of the ones i remember renting all the time is the three ninjas movie very good <laughs> i don't know what it was but i i was obsessed with martial arts when i was a kid mm-hmm. my cousins were into martial arts and maybe it's because i wasn't and thought it was badass but something about a character getting a specific color and being a ninja. It's just that hit, hits me in the feels. That's that's awesome. And then I wrote down video game movies oh. because I I probably rented Double Dragons, mm. Street Fighter, and both Mortal Kombat's so many times my dad had to be pissed. I remember <laughs> for whatever reason, and this is probably the worst of the four, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, when I rented it, I watched it four times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> Seriously, I had way too much time on my hands as a kid. And then I also rented a bunch of wrestling movies because I used oh, to be into good wrestling. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, one quick thing about that uh, uh, Street Fighter movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Did you know Raul Julia, the guy that played M. Bison, that was his last movie that he ever made? It's so crazy. Yeah, he was literally dying of cancer while making yeah, that movie. while Van Damme was doing coke or yeah, something Yeah, and was crazy. being a complete... A-H, yeah, yeah, complete, the, like a, what you'd expect out of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme at yeah. that time. Next question. Genesis fan wants to know, do you have a favorite Sega Genesis game? Favorite Sega Genesis game? I didn't play a whole lot of Sega growing up. I j- decided to buy a Generation 1 Genesis probably about 10 years ago off of eBay. It still works. Um, I bought a bunch of games for it. I think that it's going to be really... Uh, hokey but i'm gonna say uh the first sonic game 
Not that, a bad choice. And uh, what was the uh, Vector Man? Yep. I enjoyed Vector Man quite a bit also. Yeah. I'm pretty much the same. I wrote Sonic and Knuckles. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember being obsessed with Knuckles. That was really cool how you could put the two cartridges together, like of any of them, right? Yeah, you can yeah. put Knuckles into any of the games. Yeah. So that's cool. And then we've got Pocket Change wants to know, what was your go-to arcade cabinet game? Well, at Pocket Change, the local, um, well, at one time, local arcade, I think the one that I put the most money into like I would go over to that Virtua Fighter machine all the time and put money into that thing, even though I would get my butt kicked. I bet you I put my oh that one and uh, what was the Aerosmith game where you had the the guns and you'd shoot the CDs? I loved playing that one for oh, some Aerosmith Revolution, something like that. That was one of them that I used to play a whole bunch. They had a stand-up Tetris game there that I liked to play. It had really mm-hmm. cool. The, the music was a little bit different. It was fun to play. Um, I'm trying to think of what else was there, man. That was so long ago. It was man. Oh man. But yeah, I mean, just in general, I dumped so much money into that. So much money. I still have some of their, uh, prize tickets somewhere. I wrote down Miss Pac-Man, of course. And then most of the multiplayer games, X-Men Arcade, mm, TMNT, Turtles in Time, and Battletoads. Definitely. Those are all great games to play at an arcade. Next question here is Lauren wants to know what was your favorite snack for watching cartoons growing up? So I had the, the snack that I would get when I would come home from daycare or school, I would go to the cupboard and get the bag of semi-sweet chocolate chips that my mom would use for baking and mini marshmallows, put them together in a bowl, sometimes add peanuts, but that was the snack. Oh Almost man, every I did day. not see that coming. That was the snack. That was the snack. That's hilarious. I don't know. It's just one of those things. That's what I like to eat. <laughs> I, I wrote down Lunchables. Can't go yeah, wrong with Lunchables. Yeah, can't go wrong with Lunchables. Handy snacks. Mm-hmm. Back when they had the little red spatula to spread the mm-hmm. cheese. They're mm-hmm. doing us an injustice now without that. And then uh, this doesn't exist anymore, but Ruffles the Works. Do you remember? Oh, that? I definitely remember. You, those don't. Those they, I don't oh, think they exist anymore. Yeah. Supposedly every kind of flavor yeah. mixed into yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that was my cousin's go-to, but I liked it too. And then we got one more from Lauren here. She wants to know what was your go-to cereal for Saturday morning cartoons? Um, it was always between Life or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, Fruit Loops was in the was in the rotation it's pretty much those three honey nut cheerios for sure yeah uh, i stayed away from captain crunch and stuff it was too rough on the mouth i mean sure. that's the joke with that but i ate way too much cereal i still do but for me i put down cocoa puffs or oh, tricks oh that One of those two. oh i can't believe i didn't say tricks tricks was on the list same it, thing with fruity pebbles kids, I'm no sorry. it's not just for kids tricks and, tricks when it was the little balls right yep. and then it went to the fruit shapes and mm. now it's back to the balls and now it's back to the shapes. <laughs> <laughs> it's back to the shapes flip, again. Flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. I don't know this because I still buy tricks. <laughs> <laughs> and the next one here we got, Zombie Jonathan writes in to say, I like turtles. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. All Thanks, right, Jonathan. Well, that about wraps it up here for our questions. So a reminder to everybody that next episode's homework is Batman Returns, the 1992 film. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you email us at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com. If you're a faithful listener and you listen to the first one, I said overduehomework at gmail.com. That is incorrect. 
it is overdue homework podcast at gmail.com. So make sure you guys tune in to the next exciting episode of the Overdue Homework Podcast.